Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Linder Farm Network Field Talk Podcast. I'm Dan Lemke. Agriculture is frequently identified as an industry with the most potential to help with environmental concerns, such as carbon sequestration and water quality improvements. Even if farmers are enrolled in a program that pays them for the carbon they sequester, growers are the ones taking the risk to change practices. Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment, or RIPE, is a farmer-led organization putting together a program called RIPE 100, which would pay farmers $100 per acre for certain practices that deliver improvements in air and water quality as well as carbon reduction. Martin Barbary is Vice President for RIPE, and he joins us to talk about the RIPE 100 program. You are Vice President of Engagement and Government Relations with RIPE, uh, but you also have a, a pretty extensive background in public service. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Dan, you know, I, I, the first thing I tell people is I'm a farmer. Uh, my son and I still farm 6,000 plus acres in, in Southern Illinois, corn and soybeans. So I am a farmer. Uh, back in the 2000s, I ended up being president of Illinois corn in, in 2004, and then 10 years later in 2014, I ended up being president of National Corn. And in the meantime, chaired some biotech teams at National. I had quite a bit of experience on the national scene there. Uh, in 2018, was fortunate to be appointed to the administrator of the Risk Management Agency at USDA and, and spent those three years administering the crop insurance program for the country. So that, that was a, quite, a, quite a, an honor and a privilege to be able to do that and to be able to put that farmer perspective into the agency. I think we, those of us that were there during that time, were all farmers and we really were able to do that in all three agencies, FSA, RMA, and NRCS as well. So, so now you're involved with, uh, with RIPE. Tell me a little bit about what that uh, program is, what you're hoping to accomplish. And, and I guess, first of all, as, as a farmer, why is it something that uh, you felt uh, compelled to uh, become a part of? You know, Dan, the first thing is scientists absolutely agree that ag can be the solution to part of our climate problems. Uh, when I was presented the opportunity to come to RIPE, it, it's as anyone will look at it and say, wow, that's that's pretty ambitious. You know, it's $100 an acre. That's a big program. That, that, that could be impractical. Well, in my mind, it's impractical to expect a farmer to basically, if you start implementing a bunch of different practices that you're not familiar with, you're somewhat risking your livelihood on your farm and your family's livelihood. So it's not impractical, it's impractical for, to expect a farmer to risk that. And, and so we think, I think this program is, and frankly, it's the only one I've seen that would put these types of practices, cover crops, no-till, precision farming, uh, several livestock practices as well for the for those guys uh, on millions of acres and animal units. I, that's, that's really my draw here is I think this is, a, the one thing I see out there and really don't get a lot of argument about it from, from anybody. And how is it that uh, you arrived at the $100 per acre for uh, a public benefit from these uh, practices, as you mentioned, like no-till, sure. cover crops, things like that? Yeah. Sure, Dan. The, the easy answer is RIPE 100 is easy to say. <laughs> the more technical and, and correct answer is any practice that's approved for the RIPE 100 program has to deliver a value to that commodity and, and on that acre of more than $100 per acre. Uh, the example we use is, is a cover crop in corn delivers about $115 per acre of, of public benefit. That, include, that includes the carbon capture. The uh, biggest one is water quality. Obviously, these practices are going to improve our water quality all over our country. Uh, air quality is, is, is a somewhat part of it. Soil health, water conservation, those are all 
calculate. Most of our calculations are done using NRCS data. So we, we're pretty comfortable we're using the right data. But the point is RIPE 100, $100 would cover that practice implementation cost, which we calculated at 27, and I think we're probably low. Um, we know there's going to be future climate costs, policy costs, we call them, from additional taxes on fuel, fertilizer, et cetera, that we know who pays it in the end, the farmer pays it. So the idea is we give the farmer a payment to do that practice that creates all this public benefit and return, he gets a, a payment that covers his cost, not just cost share, but covers his costs and leaves a little room for him. And I, the way I say it is get over that hump of, of learning to adopt that practice, learning to use it, spend a few years figuring out how it works in his in his operation, and then sees the benefits of it and continues to use it. That's the end goal. And one of the things I understand that's different about the, the RIPE 100 program is uh, uh, many of the other carbon-related carbon sequestration programs are for folks to change uh, farming practices when in many instances, farmers uh, have been doing certain practices for, for a long time, and they are uh, essentially eliminated from consideration from those programs. How does this differ? We differ in that simply you're doing, the way I say it, you're doing it the practice, you're creating the public benefit, you should be paid. So early adopters not only should be paid because they're doing the practice and continue to do the practice, but they're also the folks out there that are learning how for others to do those practices. I mean, they're the ones that actually been out there risking their livelihood, trying to figure out how to make their farms better and, and create these public benefits. So, you know, I, I we just were 100 percent behind the fact that early adopters have to be included. And so where is where are you at with the uh, the program right now? I understand there's been an application for some funds mm -hmm. through uh, USDA. Tell me a little bit about where where the program is currently at. OK, sure. Sure. Dan. we're we are. I've been on the team five months, I was brought in to start do, doing more engagement with the National Ag Associations and obviously where my background came from. But we're at a point now where we're applying for one of the USDA Climate Smart Ag grants, one of the big pool grants due May 6th. Uh, our hope is to pilot that in four states, uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, Arkansas, and Virginia. Uh, getting that pilot would, would allow us to do, to demonstrate that the RIPE 100 program will get producers to continue to use and add acres and practices to their farms. That's the, that's the goal of our pilot. Uh, we're also admin, you know, we're also exploring some avenues of, of maybe some uh, standalone pilots through some different appropriations. So now what I guess uh, timeline, is it something that uh, folks um, you know, might be able to sign up for yet this year, or I, I'm guessing it probably depends upon the outcome of the grant proposal as well. But uh, fill me in a little bit about that, please. Yeah, Dan, that's exactly correct. The, the goal, actually, when the Climate Smart notice of funding opportunity came out, uh, the deadline was April 8th, I think. And the goal of that, that they said at that time was to have practices on the ground by fall. Moving that to the end of May when they extended the deadline for a month, um, going to make it a challenge for 2022, especially for those that would like to do the cover crop practice. I mean, they've got to be seeded in the fall. It's going to be a challenge to get it in 2022. Uh, we will do everything we can. And we have several state partners in all four states that are ready to go and, and are taking all the roles that need to be taken within the pilot to administer it. So we're, we're ready to go. Uh, we would hope to be able to do that in, in the fall of 2022, but that's a it's going to be a challenge. 
And then what kind of reception have you gotten when, when you talk to farmers and, and connect with the, some of these groups? Is it something that seems to pique farmers' interest? Well, the first thing that piques farmers' interest is when you've got a sign-up that says $100 per acre around me. I mean, that, that gets their attention real quick. And they do come into your booth and, and they want to know what you're talking about. So, you know, the reception we've got is this makes sense. Um, obviously, everyone says, yes, it's expensive. But again, I go back to that statement that it's, it's impractical for, for us, for the country, to expect producers to risk their livelihood to do these practices. We need to be able to, to help them get, get those practices going. And cost share just doesn't get it done. And not only does cost share not get it done, but today's climate farming programs that are out there, we can tell by the sign-up that they're just not going to be – I mean, they leave you at a, at a net loss per acre to do the practice. So that's just not – we think farmers should be paid for that, for the public benefit. And that, again, um, our research has shown that, that producers, once you start talking about a voluntary program that is – paying producers to do practices that improve water quality and water conservation, you get like a 93% approval rating. And so folks are interested in learning a little more about uh, the RIPE 100 plan. Uh, where should they go to find that out? Absolutely, Dan. We're, our, we have, there's more info on RIPE, riperoadmap.org, R-I-P-E-R-O-A-D-M-A-P.org, than I can get through. I mean, we've, we've got the research there. We've got the, the plan laid out. We understand, you know, we're, we're farmer led. Um, you know, our steering committee is all farmers. They, they're the ones that makes the decision on which way we take this policy. So, you know, I want people to understand that we're promoting a, a hopefully bipartisan voluntary program for producers with a simple sign up. And, and you can read all about that on riproadmap.org. Martin, I want to thank you for your time this morning. Absolutely, Dan. We appreciate the time and the opportunity to, to get the word out about right because that's that's our biggest challenge and my biggest challenge in my position is getting the word out. And I hope, you know, people and tell them, you know, please go to riproadmap.org. Our, our information is on there and they can reach out to us and, and we'll get back with them. RIPE is a farmer-led organization, and Fillmore County Dairy Farmer Eunice Beal is vice president of the RIPE Board of Directors. Uh, first of all, you need to tell me a little bit about uh, the farm that you uh, operate there in Fillmore okay. County. My husband and I farm, well, I don't know about, with our son, we farm about a thousand acres and we milk about 220 cows, Holstein, some jerseys. And my, our son has uh, kids who are involved in 4-H and FFA. And I grew up on a dairy farm three miles west of here. And my husband and I farmed together with his parents and my parents were dairy farmers too. And people said, why did you ever decide to be a dairy farmer? And I always say, I didn't know any better because I was raised on a dairy farm myself. <laughs> I just didn't know there was a life out there. But um, so anyway, we've always farmed. We've got, we farmed, we survived the eighties because we were too poor to have any money borrowed. <laughs> we were just, we were just, just starting out. And um, when we started out, Jimmy Carter was president and he milk prices were like 1440 and life was good. We got a good, we got, we worked hard and we got paid for it. But then things went to pieces after that when the milk price support was dropped down to 990 and we never quite, it took us a lot of years to recover. So, but we stuck to it and we, uh, our son, our daughter, we have a son and a daughter. Our daughter 
works in, lives in Lansboro and works for Minskew, Minnesota State College and University. So, and so we're, we got our family close by. So we were been for, we've been fortunate. We persevered. We, ha, we haven't had much of a life as far as travel or weekends off, but <laughs> I guess we can't complain. We've got family close by. They're healthy. And so take a day at a time. <laughs> Absolutely. But you also, I understand, have been uh, involved in, in policy, uh, you know, off and on for, you know, quite a number of years as well. Yes, I, <clears throat> I've always been, my parents were always Farmers Union members. And I think our t- t- the talk around the table was never about gossip or who did this it, or TV shows or it was always about the po- politics, like what Hubert Hubert Humphrey and Walter Mondale uh, we always were talking about that, and and so and my dad was very active, and my mother were active in Farmers Union, and they went to Washington D.C. So then when I got married, I never knew that my husband's family, they were Farmers Union members too. They weren't as active, but they were Farmers Union members. And I think uh, in the 90, early 90s, somebody from Farmers Union came over to our farm and asked my husband, would you be our farm, Fillmore County Farmers Union president? And he said, no, but my wife will. <laughs> so I've been kind of active in it ever since. And um Then I went and got, I worked off the farm for many years for Mayo Clinic at the graphics department. And then I got a master's degree in public policy from the Humphrey Institute, just so I, mostly so I could be knowledgeable about understanding policy and, you know, what's good policy, what's not. And it's helped. And I've always been interested in it. So I guess that's where where I'm at. So then how did you connect, get connected with RIPE? And, and tell me a little bit about what that organization is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was approached by another farmer about this RIPE and they we were looking, they were looking for, it was somebody from Pennsylvania. I, I know a lot of dairy farmers from all over the country and they wanted to know if I'd be interested in attending some of their Zoom meetings. So I said, sure. And well, I first I met with, Jamie Powers and Eliza Wasserman. And I talked to them and they stressed that everything was voluntary and it was for the, to pay farmers for the conservation practices because by paying them, they were paying for the public. The public was paying them for the practices that would benefit the public. That's how they looked at it. And so I, talked to them and I liked what I heard, but I called um, the national, Mike Strand of the National Farmers Union office in Washington, D.C. And I said, what is the, what is, do you know anything about RIPE? Well, they knew about RIPE and they knew that they were voluntary and they were um, they're committed to these voluntary practices to, and that they were farmer led and they weren't top down, they were bottom up. So then I, I kind of went on, I listened to a few of their, I was, I participated in a few of their um, steering committee meetings. And I know that when I, when I, I know that when farmer, it was totally farmer led from all over, there's farmers from Arkansas, Texas, Iowa, North Dakota, and Pennsylvania, 
they'd participate in these meetings and then they would, it went on for a couple of years that they would have, uh, they would have um, input. And so, and everything was, everything that their input was utilized. I mean, they were, it was, they thought about it and they checked it out. And I know that one thing that I was adamant about was we want, we wanted to involve our minute, our soil and water institutions and our NRCS institutions and our department of eggs. If we got to the point to implement the right program. So, because they were thinking, how are we going to roll this out? How are we going to, I said, we have to use it because the soil and water and all these institutions are known to farmers. They're trusted and they, um, they have the technical knowledge and so forth. So that, um, so anyway, it went on and now, now it's got to the point where they are applying for a, a grant from USDA for pilot programs and Minnesota is going to be one of them. And what I'm thrilled about is that our Department of Agriculture and our Soil and Water Department and uh, the Bowser Board, they're all behind it. They're all, and they, they're talking with, I don't have, I'm kind of like, I'm, I made the connection. And as far as the details, that the, they're working together. And it's, it's, really, it's really great that they're working together and they're developing this grant so that I'm hoping, I'm hoping that uh, our county can be part of it. <laughs> it won't be the whole state, it'll be selected watersheds, so. So why is this program different than some of the other things that are out there? What, uh, what, what sets this ripe 100? Uh, which I understand is paying farmers $100 per acre for uh, okay. some of the, the practices. What makes this one different than some of the say, carbon sequestration things that are out there? Well, right now, 3% of farmers are adopting conservation programs. And um, programs, and this current programs offer great results, but they don't compensate for the cost of the program. And that prevents farmers from participating because if you have your whole year on the line, it's kind of a risk. Whereas now if they pay $100 to adopt um, cover crops, install waterways, uh, that sort of thing, it isn't such a risk. And then they can find out if it works for them and they can utilize it. And then they can, well, so many years ago, there was a soil and water uh, in our county, many years ago, I'd say maybe 10. <laughs> Uh, we had a, so the our soil and water instituted a cost share. They buy the seed if you do cover crops. Well, that we did it, and it was it worked out wonderful because the next, the following year there was that prevented plant acres, and we didn't have any hay. We ran out of hay, and we were able to chop the cover crop in May, and then use that, and we were able to no-till then that land. So it was a win for us, but we to start out to actually do it on, by our by ourselves. If we were like mandated to do it, and we, we had to buy the seed, pay for somebody to drill it in, and it would have been a lot more of a risk. Whereas this way, it worked out. So I'm, and I'm thinking there's be, there's a lot of opportunities for for um, farmers or entrepreneurs to 
um, come in like they want, like they'll come in and uh, seed your land for you with, the, with, they'll seed your cover crop with you in the fall with a drone or something like that. There's opportunities for some businesses to spring up utilizing some of these practices because they'd be able to get paid uh, paid for it and they'd be, have more of a market for people who'd be interested in these practices. So what kind of response are you getting when, when you talk to other farmers or farmers here about uh, this program? What do, they, what do they think about this? Well, when we were at the Commodity Classic, we talked to the sugar beet growers in Minnesota and they were very interested in these practices. They were interested in the program, and so we gave them more information to be part of the uh, newsletter and to, to um, then they have a, a Zoom web, a webinar every Thursday of every month. So they were interested. And then when I talked to our state farmers union, I talked to our state farmers union, and they were very open to it, and they were, and they attended some webinars, and they. Um, they attended webinars and then they they have agreed they have agreed to host um, if the we get if we get the, the grant in Minnesota they have agreed to host informational meetings for other farmers throughout the state. So, so farmers are interested in learning more about uh, the program. Where is a good place for them to uh, you know to kind of read up maybe and and just get uh, further educated about what the the program offers. I think farmers are interested when they hear that they'll be compensated for their, for their, for their practices, for their expenses. So I'm, I've never, I've, maybe I've heard the most is from our, a county commissioner said, oh, that'll never happen. But then when we're, then if you, uh, if he sees it happening, we'll see what, we'll see. There, everybody's, it's 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 a new thing. It's it's very new, and it's very uh, different from when the past. So people are, you know, they're naturally doubtful. So we'll see what happens if this goes through, and uh, there'll be a lot of talk if there is. So, oh, absolutely. Any any time farmers can be compensated for some of these practices and take some of the risk out of it, I'm, I'm sure that that would certainly encourage. A few more producers to uh, take a look at it. Yeah, I know. I, I've I've contacted other farm organizations, and some of them were very leery, and they're like, "Well, we have to have more, we have to have more support, or we have to have this." And it is a risk, but well, we'll see. We've got a lot of support, and we need would would like more, but we'd like more from more organizations. But maybe they'll. I guess we won't penalize them for jumping on the bandwagon a little later. <laughs> so I understand you know, the, uh, the deadline for the application to the Climate Smart Ag through USDA, which is where uh, you know, you've applied this uh, coming up what, in a few weeks. And hopefully, you know, here's something later this summer, early fall, and, and uh, see about getting the, this pilot program rolling in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm kind of excited to see because... I've been in meetings for the last month, every week with uh, our Minnesota group and the Ripe group to iron out our iron out the fine tune the grant, and I'm just surprised how thorough and how the minute the details are, 
And especially uh, there's people in Bowser and Southern Water who've just taken this and from with working with Ripe and they're 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 just ironing out all these details and they're not saying, oh, this is too much work. You you could, you know, you would assume that people could say, oh, this is too much. They're not. They're just very detail oriented. So I am very proud of our Minnesota, our Minnesota group that have taken this on <laughs> and not because of me, because I told them to, but because they did their homework and they uh, and and they've looked at the program and they see the value of it and how it could benefit Minnesota farmers. So, and one, one thing I want to say is uh, $100 an acre is, is kind of estimated as the value of the farmer delivers to the public for these, because they say, why should we pay these farmers for doing the right thing? It's because, because it costs farmers more money and they're delivering, delivering to the public environmental benefits like greenhouse gas reductions, water quality and conservation soil health and all this. So, so they're giving these farmers at least $100 in practices. And then, you know, you can look at the webpage too, riperoadmap.org. And if you want more information for it, but you probably have already looked at it, haven't you? I have looked at it. So yes. yeah, that's, uh, it, it's a very, to me, very interesting. And I know in, in some of the conversations I've had with people, one of the things that a lot of, and I know this goes beyond just the carbon sequestration to include you know, water quality, soil health, things like that. But a lot of the, the carbon sequestration programs are targeted to get people to change practices when some yeah. of the early adopters that are already doing things like the cover crops, like the no-till, are pretty much out of luck uh, and don't qualify for those programs. Whereas the RIPE 100 right. would actually be an avenue for people who have been doing these kinds of things to, to participate. Yes, they're still included. You're going to be rewarded for your efforts even if you've been an early adopter. So that's that was one point that on our steering committee calls several over the years and months that farmers heard about, that they heard about from farmers that didn't like, wanna say, well, we've already been doing these practices and we'll be penalized if you have this new program. So we just, so they decided, why should we penalize early adopters? That makes, that makes sense to me. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate your time this morning, Eunice. Is there anything else you wanted to add about this? Well, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate the support I've gotten from our Minnesota Department of Ag, our Commissioner Tom Peterson. He's been very, very supportive. And the Bowser Board, and I've and from uh, Leanne Buck from Soil and Water, and John Jasky from the Bowser Board. All these people have just come right up and taken a hold and worked. And then from Mary, Gary Wordish from Minnesota Farmers Union has been very supportive to me as a member that I was not, that he listened to me and didn't think, oh, you're just bringing some cockeyed idea. He listened to me and he supported me and um, said well, I could represent Farmers Union and um, they will support us in turn by hosting meetings for farmers for information. To learn more about the RIPE 100 program, visit riperoadmap.org. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in to your local LFN affiliate for the latest in farm news and market information.